I don't know how you feel when we start to talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. And see, I'm already asking you how you feel. <laughs> Hang on to your seats. Some of you might feel slightly filled with horror at the idea that we're going to spend a whole seven weeks, in fact, talking about how to be emotionally healthy. You, you're a little bit like, um, please don't talk to me about how I feel. I'm British. I'm fine. I'm keeping calm and carrying on. It's all good. If you're anything like me, my upbringing had a, had a fairly unhelpful spiritual twist to that, which is Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is helpful, actually, but it was um, Jesus died and he rose again. He's victorious and so are we. Hallelujah. And we don't need to look inside at all. Not helpful. So all of that is sort of emotional repression isn't going to lead to us to any kind of health. I met someone a couple weeks ago who said, well, I would come to church, but I know if I came, I'd cry. So I don't want to cry in front of people, so I'm just staying home. It's not leading her to health because she's ignoring the fact that there's a deep well of pain inside her. Some of you are quite the opposite. And this is usually, as an old person, I can say this is usually the younger generation because you've been taught that your emotions are important. That's excellent. But uh, some of us are like, hashtag all the feels, here's my mood today, and here's my breakfast. Like, we're out there with it all the time. Most of us are probably in the camp of, I'm willing to look at my emotions, I'm, I'm good to go there. A little scared maybe, but I want to go there. But you feel just generally a bit frustrated with how much control they have over your life. You feel like pulled up down sideways and backwards, and they make you do things and say things and act in ways that you later regret. And you're like, why is this still a thing? <laughs> I um, bumped into an acquaintance this week, and within three minutes she was weeping because it's her birthday coming up. And you know, when we probed a little farther, it was because her birth she was just really neglected as a child and nobody celebrated her birthday. And she's like, why is it that I'm a grown woman with my own children and I still go down a hole every time it's my birthday? So that's probably where most of us are a bit more. Like, I'm in touch with these emotions. I kind of know why it's there, but I'm still stuck. And the good news is that um, God cares about all of that whether you're in the scary place or in the open place or somewhere in between. He cares about all the things that we feel. So this series is based on Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You can buy one, read it. I love his tagline, which is, says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while rem remaining emotionally immature. This is truth, people. Because one of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he transforms us into the person that we were meant to be. And he calls us to be his disciples and to mature into being like him in every area of our lives, emotionally as well as spiritually. He calls us to be the person we were meant to be. So I think of us humans as like a masterpiece painting. And you know some of those old masters over the years, the Victorians like painted fig leaves and other things and covered over. I feel like life sometimes covers over the, the beautiful masterpiece that we were created to be. And the Holy Spirit's work is to, you know, that painstaking art restorer work of stripping back the layers until the, the true beauty is, is revealed. So God wants to do that for us in every area. I'm going to talk about some quite basic things because this is the first one to set the stage, um, but bear with me. So Genesis 1.26 says, 
God said, let us make humans in our image after our likeness and let, a, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and everything that creeps on the earth. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So we're created in the image of God. So what is he like? And how are we like him? I think this is more than the physical representation of God. Um, I think it's much more about his character, and I would suggest a few areas in which we're like him. We, we're able to reason in a way that other of his creation are not, on a good day anyway. Um, we have agency or will. One of his prized things is to give us free will. We are creative, just like he is. We're relational like he is, and we are emotional in the same way that he is. Uh, even a cursory read through the Bible will show you that God is emotional, that he feels all the feels, and he feels them deeply. I'm just going to um, give one example of that, which is here. Um, I love this story. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. Isn't that lovely? That when he says, show me glory, he says, yeah, my glory is my goodness. So he says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, a God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we have God here being merciful. We have him feeling compassion. We have him feeling love, showing faithfulness, demonstrating forgiveness. We have him being angry. I think it's quite healthy that he's slow to anger, but he's angry. What is he angry at? Guilt, iniquity, injustice. He looks at lots of things in the world today and it's, he, he's angry. We have him feeling all of these, these emotions. And we are made in his image, so we also have permission to feel them all. When we jump to Jesus, he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Very clearly, we are invited to love God with all of us, with the whole of ourselves. We are invited to love God with all of us, and he cares about every part of us. He cares about the whole of you. He's interested in you as a multidimensional being, because he made you that way. And he wants to disciple the whole of us as well. He wants the whole of us to grow up. So Ephesians 4.13 says, we are to reach the unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Can you kind of, that's quite overwhelming, to become the full measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're being called to do in every part of our being. As humans, we are physical, spiritual, intellectual or mental, relational, emotional beings. 
All these parts of us make up who we are, and to neglect any one of them leads us into ill health. To neglect any one of them in either our regular living or on our relationship with God leaves us stunted and not who we're meant to be. So challenging question is, am I becoming mature? Am I attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ in all of these areas of my life? And for today, we're going to start focusing on the emotional part. So researchers have come up with eight major categories of emotion. I find the little subcategories quite helpful as well. But what have we got here? Anger, sadness, fear, enjoyment, love, surprise, disgust, and shame. Um, None of these emotions are good or bad in any concrete way. They just are. They just are what they are. I have a friend who says we have to stop shooting on ourselves. We can't sort of be, um, well, I know I should be happy for her, or I know I shouldn't feel this way. No. You feel what you feel. Your emotions are what they are. And, in fact, they're really helpful because they give us a picture into what's really going on inside of us. Okay? So whatever emotion you have, you don't get to should it anymore. You just get to be like, hmm, that's interesting. What is that? Okay? Um, because what we see on the surface, what we see in our own behavior, and certainly what we let other people see, is only the tip of the iceberg. Is that clear? It is kind of clear. All right. Behavior is what we see on the top. The way we speak, the way we act, the way we dress, what we present to others, what we present to ourselves. But these are only the tip of the iceberg, and they are the presenting behaviors, and they don't tell us why we've made the choices that we have made. Underneath what we see on the surface are actually the main parts of us, the feelings, thoughts, beliefs, needs, and desires that cause us to act the way that we do. So my question is, don't you think God's concerned about these things? Don't you think he's concerned about what's underneath the iceberg? Don't you think he wants to love us in all of these areas and disciple us to health and maturity in those things? I think he does. Here's some example of how this works. This is from a website that was made for um, teachers dealing with children but I think it applies to most of us as adults as well. So you see this behavior. So this might be something that you notice in yourself. I'll give you a fairly embarrassing uh, example from my life that happened yesterday, fresh off the press, people. Uh, Yesterday morning, I had a little job to do. It didn't quite go to plan, and I got snappy, quite short, with the person that I was dealing with. And afterward, I was like, why did I have to be that way? So I think... I'd love us to get into the practice of asking that question, not just going back to God and saying, oh, sorry, I was snappy, but then asking, what the heck? What happened there? Why did I behave that way? So I'll tell you why in a minute, but um, some of the questions are, you know, do I feel safe in this situation? Do I feel loved? Do I feel like I matter? Do I feel significant or insignificant? I feel angry. Why? I feel sad. I feel scared, hungry, tired, good things to notice as well. (laughs) Time of the month for the ladies. Um, Overwhelmed. All of these things are below the surface. And if we're not looking at them, if we're just trying to to treat the behavior, we're not going to get all that far. 
my thing yesterday when I talked to God about it was I felt, because the, the little job hadn't gone very well, I felt like I was going to be blamed, and so I snapped first, because then she can't come at me with some blame. She wasn't actually trying to blame me, but that's my reaction, because as a child in my family, being the oldest, it was all on me, right? So that's my reaction. So then I can come to God and say, I'm still behaving like the eight-year-old girl who's afraid she's going to be told off. And that means I've snapped at someone who I should be kind to, actually, on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah? So we've got to get, we've got to start getting underneath the surface. This is actually, oh, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a discipleship issue. That's what that word says. <laughs> um, I would say, I would argue that it's unproductive and discouraging to attempt to deal with our sin or our behavior without looking at the reasons behind it. If we're just muscling through of like, I have to stop snapping at people, I'm probably not going to get as far as, as I did yesterday. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm through it yet, but you know, I'm not going to get as far as if I realize, oh, I'm acting like that eight-year-old. I'm afraid. Um, Jill, in a couple of weeks, is going to talk to us about, what is it? Going backward in order to go forward. So looking, looking to the past in order to go forward. She'll do some more of that. But the questions that we need to start asking ourselves and God are, why do I behave the way I do? What are the emotions and beliefs about myself and about the world that are motivating my actions? And this comes without any shame. This isn't, oh, Anne, you're such a stupid person. Why would you snap at that person? This is, Lord, I don't want to behave this way anymore. Can you show me why it's happening? And can you come like a good father and minister to the little girl who's just afraid she's going to get it wrong and then be, be blamed. Yeah, does that make sense? And another question to ask ourselves so that our emotions are being discipled and matured is, do my emotions and belief align with God's truth about me and about the world? I have had some times in my life when I'm going down an emotional drain and I've actually had to speak to myself like a child and say, you stop this now, stop. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't feel it, I'm not, I'm not repressing it, but a helpful thing is to get the Bible out and to start to read, who does God say I am when I'm feeling rubbish about me? Who does he say I am when I'm feeling rubbish about him? Who does he say he is? Reading, reading until I'm like, got perspective again. This is who he is, right? Okay. And this leads us to something a bit unpleasant, which is that when we face our uncomfortable emotions, we often turn to numbing ourselves in order not to feel them. This is pretty normal. No one wants to feel uncomfortable or unhappy. Um, yeah, but... In our busy and hyper-connected world, we seldom allow ourselves the opportunity to feel our feelings. And so can you hear from what I've said? If we're not feeling our feelings on some level, we're never going to be able to mature. Um, and we're never going to grow in our discipleship. So here is, do you remember the amazing Brene Brown in her first um, TED talk that made her really famous? This is what she said. 
We are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in US history, and I think that applies here as well. The problem is that you cannot selectively numb emotion. You can't say, here's the bad stuff, here's vulnerability, here's grief, here's shame, here's fear, here's disappointment. I don't want to feel these. I'm going to have a couple of beers and then a banana nut muffin. You can't numb these hard feelings without numbing the other affects. You cannot selectively numb. So when we numb those, we numb joy. We numb gratitude. We numb happiness. And then we feel miserable and we're looking for purpose and meaning. And then we feel vulnerable and then we have a couple of beers and a banana nut muffin. I think she's actually been watching me in my house. But this happens, doesn't it? Instead of confronting an uncomfortable emotion, we turn to some numbing activities, some avoidant activities. Um, and we're going to get uh, down to it here. How do you avoid your emotions? Anybody want to be brave and shout out a couple at me? Everyone's like, uh, no. <laughs> Alcohol, thank you, Rob. Yeah. It's a big one uh, in this culture, especially. Anyone else? Busyness. Yep. Netflix, it's a good one. <laughs> podcast, yeah. I've been practicing um, trying to fall asleep without a podcast. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. Anyone else? Cleaning. Oh, come to my house, Al. <laughs> Don't have that one, but good. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, shopping. Yeah, this is my um, this is my short list. There are many more, obviously. And it, what you what you might notice about the list is most of the things on there are good, um, besides arguably maybe drugs and pornography. Everything else on there is a good a good activity. We need sleep. We need food. We need exercise. We even need Netflix every once in a while. It's good. Um, the question is, am I using these things? in order not to feel or think? Am I using these things to avoid getting in touch with who I am and therefore avoiding bringing them to God? That's the question. Am I dependent on these things? Okay, you ready for the good news? It comes in Isaiah. It's a beautiful passage. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? I love this because he's saying, I know that you're hungry. I know that you're thirsty. I know that there's an emptiness or a something inside you that you are trying to fill. And I know you don't have the money. You don't have any way to fill it yourself. So he says, come. You can buy from me bread and wine and fine food without any money. Come to me. And how do we do it? He says, listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isn't that what we want? We want our souls to live. So coming into contact with God, connecting to him, listening to him is so key in all of this coming to him and saying, why did I snap? Why am I angry? And he shows me, you're actually afraid. Oh, can you talk to me about that? 
um, yeah, and you'll find when you come to him, especially when you've done something stupid, he's so sweet and he's so kind. The times when I've been most ashamed of myself and I've come to Jesus are the times when he said the kindest things to me. And I'm like, you cannot mean that, but he does. And it's that coming to him and listening that resets our perspective, that heals the pain inside of us. And we start to believe what he says about us rather than what, what we say about ourselves. Um, oh, I was going to get you all to read all these verses, but we're not going to now. But um, go home and get your concordance out. Does everyone own a concordance or, or a, some kind of digital tool by which you can look things up? There's so many verses in the Bible about God being our comforter. The Holy Spirit's called the comforter. There's verse after verse where it says, come to me and, and, and be comforted. So seeking comfort is an excellent thing. It's a necessary thing. The thing is, where are we seeking it? Um, are we seeking it in Netflix or are we going to God to seek it? Because he wants to be our comforter. And in fact, if we believe what... Isaiah says he is the only one who can comfort us. He's the only one who can give us the food that's going to fill us. Um, there is a brilliant book by a guy called Gerald May. I'm sure he's called Jerry and plays the saxophone, but um, which is called uh, Addiction and Grace. Because what we find with these things, the, these avoidant behaviors, is they become addictions, don't they? Um, I won't be the first person to rail on about social media, but a study I was reading said that the average adult is on their phone between two and four hours a day. I think that's probably quite conservative. And that we touch our phones up to 2,500 times a day. It becomes an addiction. It really does. I, I, you know, I get a bit like, oh, where is it? Where's my phone? Yeah? Does anyone get the phantom buzz in your pocket? Yeah, we're addicted to these things, yeah? Um, and so this is this beautiful uh, book, Gerald May, Addiction and Grace, about how we let God comfort us, how we get rid of the things that we're using to cover up. So he says, many of the old misunderstandings to which, this is only his experience, obviously, the old misunderstandings to which I had been addicted were stripped away, leaving a desert-like spaciousness where my customary props and securities no longer existed. Grace was able to flow into this emptiness, and something new was able to grow. Fresh understandings took root, and the insights that emerged were clearer, simpler, and more beautiful. Similarly, grace seeks us, but will not control us. St. Augustine once said that God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. If our hands are full, they are full of the things to which we are addicted. And not only our hands, but our hearts, minds, and attention are clogged with addiction. Our addictions fill up the spaces within us and the spaces where grace might flow. One of my favorite bits in the Bible is quite similar to um, that. And it's the story of Hosea and Gomer. And Hosea the prophet is asked to marry the prostitute. And of course, she um, is not faithful to him, and it's very painful. And this is a picture of us <laughs> when we're putting 
false things, idols, in the place of God, where we should be coming to him as our lover and returning to other things. And this is this beautiful, beautiful passage. Therefore, I am now going to allure her, that's you and me, and I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her there. He's not sending us to the wilderness to punish or treat us harshly. He's taking us there to speak tenderly to us. And there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And the valley of Achor means the valley of weeping or the valley of tears. There she will sing as in the days of her youth and as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. And I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. And I think God's inviting us to come to a place where we're laying aside these things that are taking his place, where we're letting him allure us, or some of the versions say woo us. We're letting him woo us into a wilderness place. And we're letting him speak tenderly to us there. We're letting him turn our tears into hope. And he's teaching us to sing again. I love the, the bit about no longer calling him my master, but my husband. It speaks of an intimacy and a love that's not just I need to do the right things and follow Jesus, but it's I love him and he loves me. And of course I'm going to follow him. So I just want to um, challenge all of us to start making that space for God. Start making that space for him to meet us where we really are, in our emotions. And I have a few ideas, you probably have more and better ones about how we can do that. Worship is a great place to start, whether that's through music or dance or art or writing. Find what helps you connect to him. Um, I'll give a shout out to um, the rhythm dance thing that's at eight o'clock tomorrow. Um, I'm not a dancer, but I'd like to be. Sometimes I dance in the dark corners when the lights are a bit dimmer than now. Um, but rhythm is a brilliant place to, to move your body and to, you know, you get in touch with different parts of yourself that you wouldn't if you were just sitting on your sofa. Um, walking, being in nature. God often talks to me through trees and clouds and things. It's a good way. Uh, it's a good time to go for a walk and leave your phone at home, you know? <laughs> um, journaling helps some of us. I'm an external processor, and I sometimes don't know what I think until I've written it down. Um, and if you're like that, get, get a journal. Um, meditating on scripture, by which I mean really going slowly over a passage. You know, not following the Bible in a year program, but taking a verse that is speaking to you and just sitting with it, letting God speak to you, reading it over and over again. Um, silence and solitude, not things that we're good at, but it's in those moments that God can start to speak to us. I, I remember a period in my life where um, spending time with God was not fun because every time I sat in silence with him, 
this wave, waves of emotion came up, and I was like, oof, don't want to feel that. I'm going to do something else. Um, but, but sticking with it, sticking with it for as long as you can in the silence and the solitude and letting that emotion come up and just being, Lord, this is too much for me. Help for as long as you can. Um, and I'm going to just uh, tell us about the daily examine, which is a really simple, really ancient tool, which is good to use at the end of a day. I mean, you can use it any time, but I like it at the end of the day. Really simply, turning off all your distractions, sitting quietly and just becoming aware of the presence of God. He's always with us. He's Emmanuel. The Holy Spirit's always with us. Becoming aware of his presence. And then beginning to look over the day, the last 24 hours, and, be, and, and begin to be grateful for the things that were great. Begin to thank him for, wow, that was good, and this went well, and this was a lovely interaction, or you know, whatever it is. But then begin to pay attention to other emotions. What things didn't go so well? What am I feeling a nagging guilt about or, or, or a sadness about? Begin to, to just pay attention to those. Let them arise. And then begin to pray about those things. Begin to give them to God. This is why I think it's a good thing to do before bed, especially for those of you who, are, who struggle to sleep with anxiety or your brain is spinning or like Chris and I put a podcast on. Um, yeah, praying about these things. And then the fifth step is just to ask him, what's, what's for tomorrow? What have you got on for tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow? And begin to look ahead to the day ahead. So it's just a tool, but um, just inviting us to make that space where we can connect to him, where we can connect to what we're really feeling inside so that he can love us in those things, so he can relieve us of the things that are painful so that he can grow us up in those things. He cares so much about us and about what's gone on in the past and about how we feel now. He's so loving and so kind and so good. He's not gonna leave us as we are. So we can always trust that when we come to him, it's gonna be good. I'd just like to pray a little bit now, if that's okay. So just, Get yourself comfy. Close your eyes if that helps you. Open your body if that helps you. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us.